Okay, if you've got your Bible with you, I invite you to find Luke chapter 6. We're going to read a portion of Luke chapter 6 this morning. The words are going to be up here on the screen. If you don't have a Bible with you or a Bible app open on your phone, you'll be able to uh, take in the, the text up on the screen. And if you're just joining us, uh, maybe you're just popping in for a Sunday or um, visiting this morning, um, I just want to let you know that this church is a gathering of people who believe that Jesus is the divine Son of God. We believe that he was crucified as payment for our sins, as the only sufficient payment for our sins. And that he was buried, and he was resurrected in his very body, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that he ascended into heaven where where he is um, sitting at the right hand of God, that he's coming again, he's returning to this earth to judge the living and the dead. And what we are trying to do in this, this interim time, this time between his ascension and his return to earth, during this interim time, we're paying attention to the words that he spoke to his disciples, trying to learn to follow the way of Jesus, and often getting it wrong, often failing, and needing to be reminded, and needing to return um, to the way of Jesus, And we're spending a season in the Gospel of Luke, reminding ourselves and maybe learning for the first time what it looks like to live as one of his disciples in the kingdom of God, to live as a citizen of the kingdom right now. And we've come to Luke chapter 6. This is a section where Jesus is laying down foundational principles for living as a citizen of the kingdom of God. And all of his teaching here can be divided into three sections, teaching us um, something related to self, something related to others, and something related to God or Jesus Christ himself. So self, others, God. It's a really nice handle on all of life, self and others and God. And so we're in the section this morning. So if you've landed here this morning or listening, we're in the section related to others, How are we to treat others? We ourselves being citizens of the kingdom of God if we have placed our trust in Jesus. And we gave attention last week to how to treat enemies. And we're going to have something slightly different this week. A little bit of a variation on that theme. Not so much oriented toward our actions this week. Last Sunday was a very active idea, active goodness towards enemies. This week has more to do with our attitude, um, our attitude toward others. Um, That's the particular angle that we're going to approach the text um, at this morning. More so looking at the interior life, more so looking at the mental life, the emotional life. Um, We could just say more so looking at our heart toward others, okay? The reading um, is going to begin in verse 37, and we're going to go through verse 45. All right? If you're able to this morning, in honor of God and His Word, let's stand for the reading of the Word. Luke 6, beginning in verse 37. And these words may be familiar to you. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. 
Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck, take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Heavenly Father, we uh, mentally and uh, in our hearts hand this time over to you. It's... um, It's just the very least we can do, Father, to give you a portion of our time as if our time belongs to us anyway. Our life is borrowed from you. Our breath is borrowed from you. We are yours completely. We pay attention to the words uh, spoken by the, the one whom you sent, Jesus Christ. I pray it wouldn't just be an exercise um, and going through the motions, but that you would have sovereignly appointed this time, this very time, this morning, for amazing life change that we so desperately need. We hand, hand our hearts over to you to be shaped and molded by what we read here. We know that these words are not the invention of a man. They are your breathed out thoughts for our benefit. And so we ask you to do that work in us for your glory. And we ask in Jesus' name, his beautiful name, amen. All right, please be seated. Jesus is addressing a problem that we have. He's not just speaking words out into the air for no reason. He's addressing a problem that we have. That's why he's speaking. It's a problem that we have with how we treat each other. And he wouldn't need to say these things if we were already getting it right. He's giving us a course correction. He's showing us how to live differently. He's showing us, he's telling us, what your life will look like when God is reigning inside of you. 
When God is reigning inside of you, remember, the kingdom of God. When God is reigning inside of you, this is what your life will look like. He's going to show us what it looks like in great detail. We're going to get into his teaching in just a moment. First of all, let's just talk about our problem. Let's talk about how we naturally treat each other. Let's spend some time thinking about our natural tendencies and our fleshly way of walking toward each other. How we naturally treat each other with special attention to how we treat the wrongdoer. Okay, that's really what this passage is about, is how we treat someone who's doing something wrong. It may just be they're, they're sinning in some way that doesn't impact you that much. It may be that they've done something very wrong to you personally. Maybe a fellow Christian, maybe someone in your family, maybe a, um, maybe a complete stranger to you, someone you're just acquainted with. But what is our attitude toward and our treatment of the wrongdoer? Before we think about that, let's just ask one more question, just to back up and look at this from a a really, really high elevation. Why is it important for Jesus to teach us about the treatment of wrongdoers? It's a really specific thing. Like, why is it important for us to know about that? Why is he addressing this topic? Well, think about this. Start with God. Think about God's relationships, okay? Think about the life of God. And consider how almost all of God's relationships are with wrongdoers. If you don't count God's relationships with good angels, and that intra-Trinitarian relationship, so the relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, if you set those relationships aside, God's relationships with unfallen angels and Father, Son, Holy Spirit, if you set that off to the side, all of God's relationships are with wrongdoers. Humans who have done incredible wrong to him. Repeatedly, over and over and over, thousands of times, millions of times, God is intimately acquainted with how to relate to the wrongdoer, someone who's done him immense and personal wrong. The Bible calls that sin. And so, and so, if we are to resemble the Heavenly Father, that, that was one of the big ideas last week. If we are to bear a resemblance to the Heavenly Father, there's something that we have to know in this area. This is a huge part of the life of God, how he relates to the wrongdoer. So it's a huge part of our lives too. And it's really important that we get this right if we're going to look like him. So let's talk about our problem. Let's talk about what we naturally do to the wrongdoer, okay? And very simply, I'm, I'm just going to use this illustration to try and, try and uh, summarize what we do and give us a picture for thinking about these things. What we like to do is put other people in prison. 
Not, not a physical prison, but we put them in prison in our minds and in our hearts. We like to take someone who is a wrongdoer, and especially if they have wronged us personally, and we lock them away in our own mental, personal prison by not forgiving them, by labeling them forever as bad, evil, adulterer, bitter, angry, controlling, whatever. We take people and we just lock them away and essentially say, I'm, I'm done with you. You just put them in prison and there they stay forever. If you follow the sports world, and especially if you're a college football enthusiast, you may know that this past week there was a really high-profile verbal confrontation with two of the most high-profile coaches in the sport, where one coach accused another coach of doing something wrong, very publicly. So the very next day, the coach who'd been accused called a press conference, got out in front of everybody. Just as the other incident was public, this coach came out in front of everybody and essentially said, I'm done with this guy. He's, yeah, if he's trying to call me to apologize, I'm not taking that call. I'm done. You know, you know who he is. He's shown his cards. Essentially, I'm done with him forever. Now, that was in the heat of the moment, okay? That's within 24 hours of the accusation that the, that the other guy made. So maybe he'll walk that back a little bit once things settle down. Maybe he'll change his mind. All I'm saying is that's a really good illustration of what we do with each other when we've been wronged by someone. We just say, I'm done with you. And so I want to ask you, is there anyone in your prison right now You have labeled them and judged them and condemned them and just locked them away. They are beyond your forgiveness. They're on your permanent bad list. You know, it's almost like the grace of God does not exist. And that if God were ever to show this person grace and kindness, you wouldn't. That's, if God wants to do that for them, that's fine. I'm not going to do that. If that is true for you, there is a warning in this passage. The warning here in this passage is a warning against looking so much unlike God. We who know him and are called to resemble him in the way that he treats others and especially the wrongdoer? Is it possible that we look so unlike God in our personal relationships? That's what Jesus is addressing. Um, As a preventative, 
or maybe as a corrective. And that's where we're headed. So let's look at his teaching um, in three points. We could pull out three points from his teaching with the goal that after looking at this and observing this, our hearts will be reshaped and remolded into a more godly shape. So we have a heart that looks like how God treats the wrongdoer, okay? Now, I want you to notice that we do not have to deny the wrong that's been done to us. There's one way to approach this passage where you can look at it and say, okay, judge not. What does that mean that I'm not supposed to make moral judgments on what anyone does? I'm just supposed to be morally ambivalent about everything? No. No, it's okay to call good, good and call evil, evil. Jesus does that in this passage. He says there is such a thing as good and evil. This passage does not warn against judging things as evil. It warns against the ungodly, ungracious, unforgiving treatment of the one who has committed the evil. Okay, so how do we deal with the wrongdoer differently as a citizen of the kingdom? Okay, now think about this. Our eyes are fixated on the other person. We're looking at the person who is the wrongdoer. That's where our eyes naturally are. We're discerning their faults and their sins. We're condemning them in our minds. We're judging them. Our eyes are fixed on them. And the first thing that happens here is that Jesus redirects our eyes to God. He redirects our eyes upward to God. That's what happens in verses 37 and 38. So now our eyes are moving from the horizontal plane to the vertical plane. We're looking at God now because there's a promise here. In verses 37 and 38, there is a promise here that God will treat me in accordance with the way that I treat others. There is a promise here that God will treat me in accordance with the way that I treat others. Okay, look again at verse 37 in this initial, this initial passage, verses 37 and 38. See, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. If I treat others harshly, if I hold things against them and make sure that they pay for what they've done, or make sure they know for sure that they're a sinner and they're less than me. And if I'm sending those messages all the time, and if I'm refusing to forgive and be charitable and be gracious, God will treat me likewise. On the other hand, if I treat others with leniency and graciousness and forgiveness... God will treat me likewise with grace and leniency and forgiveness and generosity. 
There is a promise here that God will treat you in accordance with the way that you are treating others. And let me tell you, this is because this is a little bit hard, and I know that the wheels are turning, you've got lots of questions, and so do I. Even if we don't understand exactly how this is true, or when it will be true, like when will God treat me like that, and when will I get all this stuff in return? Is that now? Is that like later after I die? Is it a combination of both? Like when is this going to happen? When am I going to see this treatment from God? Even if we don't understand the specifics of how it could be true, that shouldn't keep us from recognizing the fact that it is true. Jesus teaches it as true. This foundational principle that God will treat us in accordance with how we treat others. And this is not the only place in the scriptures where we find this same principle articulated to us. Matthew 5, um, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Same principle. Matthew 6, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's really difficult, isn't it? It's really hard to get a handle on that. I admit that it's difficult. We don't have time to fetter out all the ways that this is true. We're just noticing today that it is true. Therefore, Christian, when you are deciding in your mind, how am I going to treat this other person who's done wrong? The question that you need to ask yourself is, well, how do I want God to treat me? If I take a gracious posture toward this person, if I forgive this person, Allow them back into my good graces. It is a looking to God and a saying, this is what I would receive from God. If I want him to treat me with leniency and generosity and forgiveness, I need to put those principles into practice with other people. And notice that the, the promise is that with the measure that we use, it will be measured back to us. So if we dole out forgiveness by the teaspoon be forgiven by the teaspoon if we dole out forgiveness and generosity and graciousness by the five gallon bucket we'll get it measured back to us with a five gallon bucket so consider first christian what do you want from god jesus redirects our eyes to god to ask, what do, I, what do I want from him? Because we can't have it both ways. I can't be harsh and stingy and hard-hearted with others and expect God to be soft-hearted toward me. Okay, so first, eyes redirected to God. Thinking about, how are we going to deal with this wrongdoer? Look to God. Secondly, he redirects our eyes to ourself. That's verses 39 through 42. What we want to do is focus on the other person. You've got this person in mind that's done you wrong. Maybe you've put them in your mental prison. Jesus has redirected our eyes to God. Now he redirects them to ourselves. And we have this famous 
exhortation about seeing the log in our own eye first instead of being obsessed with the speck in the other person's eye. And that's what we do. We obsess about the specks in other people's eyes. They're tiny little faults. And we talk about them with other people. And we name their faults. And we obsess in the, about the specks in someone else's eye and we ignore these huge faults that we have. We ignore them or we just remain blissfully unaware of our own major faults. And so there is a call here by Jesus to self-reflection, self-awareness, self-examination. He's redirecting our eyes to ourselves. And there are embedded in this text here, there are two really good questions that we should ask ourselves in terms of self-awareness and self-reflection, okay? There are two questions here that we can pull out that will, I think, do a really good job of helping us diagnose our own condition. And here they are. Here's the first one. It's from verse 40. We're examining ourselves. Question one, am I like my teacher? Ask yourself, am I like my teacher? Verse 40 reads that a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Jesus is the teacher. We are his disciples. Everyone, when fully trained, will be like his teacher. When we're thinking about how am I going to treat this wrongdoer, usually the question in our mind is, what does this person deserve from me? What does this person deserve That is not the question that a disciple of Jesus asks. The disciple of Jesus asks the question, what can I do here? What kind of response can I offer to this person that will be like my teacher? Are my actions in step with him? In other words, a disciple of Jesus is not so much concerned about what the other person gets and how they have to pay for what they've done, but we're really concerned about following in the steps of our teacher, like my own discipleship journey. What can I do that will show that I'm on the path that Jesus is in? So look, we're moving away from the question, does this other person look like they look like I think they should look? Like, are they doing the right things? Do they know that they're doing things wrong? We're examining others all the time. Do they look like I think they should look? That's a very ungracious question. That's a very judgmental question. We're moving away from that question toward the question, do I look like I should look? Because everyone, when fully trained, will look like his teacher. So ask yourself, do I look like my teacher? Where in my life am I not like my teacher? 
And where's my opportunity to be more like him today? Maybe in your response toward the wrongdoer. Okay? So that's the first question. Am I like my teacher? Here's the second one. This is from verse 39. Could I lead another person to be more like Jesus? Could I lead another person to be more like Jesus? If someone followed my manner of life in Christ, my attitudes, my treatment of others, the way that I talk about people, my priorities, my patterns, my forgiveness or lack thereof, my graciousness or lack thereof, if someone followed me, would that lead them closer to the way of Jesus? Or would it be like the blind leading the blind? What would happen to a person following you? Would a becoming more like you be a becoming more like Jesus? See, now our eyes are completely on ourselves. We're examining our own lives, thinking about, yeah, what if someone did follow me? Would I lead them right into a pit? This is so good. This is what Jesus directs us to. We're looking for specks in our own lives now. So examine yourself. Are you like your teacher? And could someone who's following you and hoping to follow Jesus What would the outcome of that be? Would they become more and more like him? So now our eyes have been redirected to God. That was the first thing, right? We're looking to God. What do I want to get from God? That's going to govern how I treat you. And our eyes are now looking at ourselves. Could I lead a person to be more like Jesus? Do I look like my teacher? Now we're getting healthy, okay? This is very good and very healthy. Our eyes are off of the other person and all they're wrong. And we're looking at God and we're looking at ourselves. And only a person who has gotten healthy like this is a safe person to come up to you and say, hold still. Look at the light. I'm going to take my finger very gently and remove the speck from your eye. Only a person who's gotten healthy in that way is a safe person to come and do that kind of procedure for someone else. Become healthy enough to be a a helpful person in the body. We need people to help us get the specks out of our eyes because specks are painful. And they cause problems, and we want to get rid of them. The problem is that so few people potentially are healthy enough to t- help us take those specks out of our eyes without causing other wounds in the process. There's so much hurt that can happen in a church because of relational malpractice. And the church of Jesus needs gentle Generous, lenient, gracious, self aware, 
self-critical Christians to help her. Can you be such a person? By the power of the Holy Spirit and under the teaching of this text, will you be molded into the shape of a Christian? You know, the person or the people whose faults you have been focusing on and you've been obsessing over these, this person's problems, spending all that mental energy, will you redirect your energy under the authority of this text and by the power of the Holy Spirit, redirect your energy to time reflecting on how you want God to treat you And time reflecting on your own walk and your own logs and where you are leading people. All right, there's just one additional thing to note here, here at the very end. So just summarizing, hopefully the main points are there. We love to look at the other person, but now we're looking at God and what we want from him. And now we're looking at ourselves in our own walk And are we like our teacher, okay? And then there's just this one last thing because our our hearts are are so evil and we just rationalize things all the time. I know your heart is just like mine. I do this. Even still, we have this thought like, okay, if I do all these things, if I'm looking at God and I'm looking at myself and I'm doing a good job with that, well, who is going to tell that other person how wrong they are, right? Doesn't someone have to do that eventually? Doesn't someone have to be the diagnoser of everyone's problems and make sure that everyone just knows who they are and what they are and what they're getting wrong? And shouldn't that person be me? You know, I'm a mature disciple. I think I can do this and say that so-and-so is this way and -and so-and-so is that way and they've got this problem. And doesn't someone just need to do that? We love to do stuff like this because it makes us feel superior to other people. Like we get to be the judge, and diagnose everyone's issues. And okay, I'll redirect my eyes to God and myself, but who's gonna keep everybody straight? Who's gonna keep order around here? And to counter to counter all these fleshly desires to obsess over other people's faults and sins. We have this wonderful metaphor from Jesus using trees and fruit that I'm just calling today knowledge to rest in. Just set your heart at peace with what he says in verses 43 to 45 where he uses the example of a tree to talk about people. And he shows us how people are like trees. The main point of the metaphor is in verse 44. Each tree is known by its own fruit. Way too often, we are like sign hangers in the orchard. We walk around and we hang a sign on an apple tree that says apple tree. And we go over to the pear tree and we hang a sign on the pear tree that says pear tree. 
And we go over and to the cherry tree and hang a sign on it that says cherry tree because we just want to make sure that the tree knows who they are and that everyone else knows what this tree is. Doesn't someone have to do that and label everybody and say what they are? And we feel like we have to be the ones to do that and say, this is who you are. This is who this person is. And look at the words of Jesus. Each tree is known by its own fruit. Who a person is is apparent to everyone. They cannot hide it. If a person is good, they will bear good fruit. If a person is bad, that will be apparent because they will produce bad fruit. No good tree produces bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree produce uh, nor again does a bad tree produce good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. Do you know what that means? It means that I don't have to label the trees. And neither do you. We don't have to hang signs on people. What they are is already apparent to everybody by their words and their actions. Isn't that a freeing thing? You know, we hang signs on people like, you know, they're an angry person. And I know, I know you do it in conversation with people you're really close to and you know, it's okay, and it's done in small groups and in whispers, and we just say, you know, they're an angry person. They're a bitter person. Well, you know, they're a little bit manipulative, and they're this kind of a person, and they're controlling, and well, you know what they did, and they're this kind of a person. And we place them in our minds beyond the grace of God, like sanctification does not exist for them. Like God has nothing else left for them. And we spend our energy trying to keep track of others. And we're just sign hangers in the orchard, keeping track and keeping track and labeling, keeping order. And we just have good news here. Each tree, every person is already known by its own fruit. So your work as a judge and a sign hanger is unnecessary and unbecoming of a disciple of Jesus. So release people to be identified by their own fruit. The better and proper use of the disciples' time is a consideration of the fruit of their own life. Like that's the, that's the really solemn thing here for us, is that if this is true, that means who I am is evidenced by the kind of fruit in my life. What's growing on my branches? I hope it's the fruit of the Spirit. Like... If I really am a believer, born-again believer, the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of me, the outcome of that and the growth from that should be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Who we are is visible for everyone to see. It's hanging there on our branches. And that's just merely an outworking of what's in our heart. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
I know these things run exactly counter to what we want to do. It's exactly counter to what the world is doing. Because you know, out in the world, they cancel people. Put people in prison, you're canceled, you're locked away forever, grudges get held forever, everyone withholds forgiveness, and we have this wonderful opportunity to be different and to be godly, resembling the God who is gracious and forgiving of the wrongdoer, the wrongdoing evil person like me, like you, all right? Let's pray. Father, we we pray for release from all of these deeply rooted, long-standing patterns of sinful treatment and sinful attitudes towards other people. Father, give us the humility and the grace to remember that everyone is on a different place in their discipleship with the Lord Jesus and that your grace remains and that your forgiveness remains for them, that growth is possible. And so we can take a very free approach to other people, gracious, forgiving, and kind. And that in doing so, help us to remember there is such great reward because of your promise to measure back to us just the same, overflowing amount So, Father, that's what we want from you. We want the overflowing amount measured back to us. So give us the grace to treat others in that way. It will be so good for us. Thank you for the word. Thank you even more for the one who spoke the word, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.